On today's show, our guest is Adam Mostigal. We all know that everybody starts somewhere and eventually in life, we all go on to achieve various different things. Some people go on to invent things, others change the world through business, and at some level, we all know that we achieve some level of greatness. No matter what your measure of success is, we all know also that we've got to start somewhere. My guest today is helping youngsters at that grassroots level. Adam runs a fantastic company called Illuminate Education. His programs inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs, small business owners, and the problem solvers of tomorrow. He's transforming the mindset of an entire generation of kids while they're still at school and in the process, giving them the tools that they need to make a real difference in their next venture of either study or work. Adam achieved some great success in his business early on. However, he took his foot off the gas and in the process realized that he was playing much too small. He also realized that he wasn't going all in and to truly make a difference in the world, he would have to do just that. As a serial entrepreneur myself, inspiring children to take charge of their life, follow their passion, and turn that into an income is something very close to my heart. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Adam Mostigal. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass, and this is the Go All In podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache, and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. Well, good day, Adam. Welcome to the show, mate. It's great to have you here. That's great to be joining you. All right, all right. I'd like to start off with all of my guests with a quick little get-to-know-you quiz. It helps us calm the nerves down a little bit. It warms us up in a rapid fire way. And maybe the people at home listening will learn something about you that they don't already know. It's in no particular order. You ready? Let's do this. All right, man. It might be a bit random, but uh, it's kind of related to your business and what you do as well. Tell me, would you, you work in the entrepreneurial space and you're working with ideas all the time. Would you rather like come and think of an idea or would you rather deliver on that actual idea? I'm a, I'm a thinker in building it. Like I, I, my background is an activator. So will I sustain it for the long term? Don't come to me, but I'll help build it and get it up and running. And then I'll probably back away and get someone else to keep running. I love it. I love it. You and I would have some epic schooners and coffees and dinners. We have these amazing ideas and we hand them off to someone else to deliver that. That's it. That's it. And after my heart, I love it too. <laughs> so you prefer the actual generation process, the idea generation process over the actual implementation and delivery? It's, it's got to, you've got to get it ready for implementation and things like that. But in terms of doing something for a number of years, like my business, I've been doing for eight years. The last job, the longest I was in one was like 18 months. So like for me, this is the longest thing I've ever done. That, that for me is like, but it's always changing. I'm always looking for new things because I'm just like, let's get this up and running. I'll hand it over. Someone else can manage and deliver. And what's the new idea? What's the next thing I can do? So yeah, still got to think of how to actually put it in place because there's no point coming up with the idea if you can't put it in place. Yeah. Once you get it up and running, then it's like, cool, you guys can run with that. What's next? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Do you prefer working with primary school kids or high school kids? Oh, as long as my high school kids don't hear this. Um, no, primary school kids. Absolutely love primary because the creativity, like they're so open-minded. We did a sustainability challenge a little while ago and we had kids that are going like year five students going, let's turn all the trams in Melbourne nuclear efficient. And you're like, what? And they're going, let's go work out how to do it and do all the research and build it all out. Like sometimes high school kids are like, let's just refine an existing idea. And that 
absolute unbridled creativity. I absolutely love because once you start plugging those business basics around it, it becomes real. Nice. Yeah, it's a deliberately loaded question. If you probably realise, it's impossible to pick. I'll, you know, which kid do you favour more, your daughter or your son? Actually, I like them both, but actually. I got two boys, so it's okay. I just had the boys. Oh, yeah, so, right. yeah. just had the boys. Easy, easy, cool. So you're from Tasmania, right? Yep, I live in Launceston in Tassie. Do you prefer the bush or the ocean? I prefer the bush. I lived in the Queenstown here on the west coast of Tassie for a number of years. Absolutely love it, the remoteness and that sort of stuff. But I was actually born in Newcastle, New South Wales. So I lived on the beach for a while there. But yeah, lived in New Zealand a little bit and lived here and love that, yeah, remoteness and wilderness because you just kind of can go there and completely switch off and it's just another, you're in another world. Fantastic. So would you prefer to be in the office working away or out networking, meeting new people? I spend way too much time out of the office that I think I run a co-working space in Launceston. I have a desk, but they normally just get other people to sit at my desk because I'm hardly ever here. I spend like 20, 25 weeks a year on the road, traveling around teaching and that sort of stuff. So uh, for me getting out and doing it, like if I'm sitting here in the office, just like twiddling my thumbs or finding things to do, like that's dangerous because as you already know, I'm someone who comes up with ideas. If I'm not doing something, I'm going to come up with something new and scare people. So I've got to keep, yeah, getting out there and doing stuff. But I get to see the country and it's an amazing place when we go out and do that stuff. I love it, love it. And here's another loaded question for you. Would you say that you're old school or new age? Oh, I'm like, I've only just turned 30, so I'd say new age still, just. <laughs> no, I just think there's, oh, look, I'm cha- yeah, changing things and looking at different ways of doing things and starting to go like, how do you throw out the old model and do something that reflects what we're doing now? So I think I'm in that new age category. Nice one. Love it. All right, last one. If you could go back in time and spend 10 minutes with anybody, who'd you go and see? Who'd you visit? Nikola Tesla, I think, would be one. Just the crazy stuff he came up with and the the things that he worked through. And then the adversity of trying to get those things out there. Like so much of his story is that these things didn't get up because of this. And I'd love just to pull some of that stuff apart and realize what we may have lost because we don't listen to people with ideas as what we should. So that would be an incredible 10 minutes. I'm sure my brain would hurt, but it would be amazing. He was a guy who really did know how to go all in. He just had so many ideas. He worked like 15, 16 hours a day. And then he was digging ditches on the side of the road to make until he had the funding to get his other ideas up. That's a really inspirational story. If you're listening into the show and you don't know that story, I really encourage you to go and find that out. So Good point raising that one. Well, nice one, mate. Thank you for sharing that with us. People come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, Adam, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Oh, look, for me, it's like the simplest thing of going all in when you start a business and you start doing that stuff, like you throw everything behind it. And originally, like when I started Illuminate Education, that it was this sort of like, I, I started a business that was doing audiovisual production. I was working with musicians. They didn't have the skills. And I was like, oh, we've got to change this. And, and how do we work with school students to do this? If small business is the cornerstone of our economy, we talk about it time and time again. Why don't kids learn that? And for me, I stepped through that process and started to think about it and pull together what is Illuminate. The only way I knew it would work is basically throwing off everything else that would otherwise amuse my time and keep me away from it and just jumped, yeah, jumped all in and went, no, this is what I do full-time make it happen and it's just amazing the momentum that happens once you actually kind of jump off that cliff there's a the great that uh, was a Reed Hoffman quote you jump off the cliff and assemble the plane on the way down that for me is you need to do that and you have to go all in to do that because as you do that you start to you don't hold back and you just make those things happen and for me that's now how I've like, got a national footprint talking to people internationally 
there is no way that if I was like one toe in the water, you'd never do it. You have to go all in. And so that for me is always sort of that's the, the biggest thing for me. And once that started to happen, then other things go and I just keep going. Like I've got a why not attitude that for me is just keep going. Like, oh, why shouldn't we do this? Let's go make this happen. Let's go see how we can do this and just, yeah, completely, yeah, go all in. How long were you in your business before you kind of, because you're saying you had an AV business, you're, you're filming stuff. How long was it before you actually shifted focus into what you're doing now? So I started, that was it. Yeah, I left school 2005 and then started the AV business 2006. So I was only 18 when I did that. And I would have been running that for about three years and sort of shifted over focus towards the second half of that. Um, started to realize this was something I should be doing more of. And sort of, yeah, 2010 really said, no, this is what I do. And treated as a part-time business. I had a great employer who sort of said, look, I want to employ you for like two days, three days a week so you can do that and build that, which was great. Nice. But yeah, very quickly realized though that I just couldn't do it on that amount of time. I had to, yeah, go all in and, and had an opportunity to basically that my wife got a full-time job and we just went, all right, I'm just going to do this and make this happen. And so really, yeah, started teaching kids in 2011 started full-time in the business 2014 and from there it's just accelerated at a pace that even I still kind of pinch myself every now and then. How long was it before you got your first client? Well, I said, well 2011 was the first client that we got so I kind of begged, borrow and stole venues for our first program and knew lots of teachers and got people together but basically straight out of that all the people that I borrowed things off went we need to do this seriously and we need to take this bigger than what you think it's going on. Cause I was like, I just want to do this in Launceston. I see Launceston has an issue. We're <laughs> going to do it. Here. And I still find it funny that I'm going, I saw something for a, a city of 65, 70,000 people and now going to Alice Springs and going to Armadale and going to Townsville and just going, they've got the same problem. And it's just like, that's not what I comprehended. But anyway, so, but yeah, the first client was basically, those partners that I kind of roped in and said, hey, can I borrow stuff and can I work with you? They went and saw, no, that's actually worth investing in. So they were very quickly the first clients that I had. So they were sort of, yeah, university bodies. And from there, it's just, yeah, scaled and grown. But universities are still great partners and great clients that we work with. So were you a year into doing it yourself or was it less than a year? Yeah, it was less than a year. It was sort of the first big program was like I wanted to get all the right people around it. For me, mm. the only way, and it's still the way I operate, like you've got to build that reputation. Like if you're delivering a service in this sort of thing, there are places that we go to for next to nothing that I know that if we build the right relationships and deliver on what we do, then we can kind of get that to follow. So you have to go all in to get that reputation in the market. Yeah. But from that, then all these things happen. That for me has always been it. So the first program I deliberately, like the mayor opened it, I got all of the best people that I knew to come around and said, hey, can you guys go with me on this? And they all basically walked away and said, yeah, but we're going to do this more. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Oh, nice. nice. Did you get paid? Not for the first one. Well, I was working in retail, actually. So I actually took, just took a week of annual leave. So it was just, it was all, it's that typical bootstrap story of just, like, let's just do this. And four schools said yes, 38 kids said yes. And now, now we've taught close to 6,000 students across the country and it's just like I can't believe from that to what we're doing now and there's a team across the country and doing all these things from that one point. But, yeah, it's been incredible. Yeah, it's a common story with people in small business that have an idea and have passion. And I was doing some writing the other day trying to work out what the common theme was amongst all the people that I have on my show here and all the people that I'm talking to because it's a question I get asked all the time. You know, what is the reason that people go all in? And I think it's less about, you know, putting yourself out there and having a go. It's just putting aside 
all the opinions of other people and diving in and having a go and delivering value first. A lot of people I talk to do exactly the same thing as what you described. They, they put themselves out there, they have a go, that's something they really believe in and they work for free, not for a long time, but for a period of time and giving value first and delivering value in advance is a very, very common trait. What would you say to a younger person that was going into business that was shying away from that and going, oh, I should be getting paid for what I'm doing? Oh, and I see for me, a younger person is ideal. Like I'm thinking high school students are like, this is when you ask the younger person, that's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. You're still at home. Your parents are putting food on the table. They're looking Mm -hmm. after you. Go crazy. Like all that spare time and like actually sit down and go through how much time in your week have you got and start pulling it apart. When you start looking at your Netflix time, you're browsing random (laughs) stuff on internet, making memes. Once you pull that stuff apart, you start to go, wait a minute, if I can do something, and yeah, you talk about it, yeah, giving that time away for free, but what would that be worth to someone else if I can actually then convert the value and make someone pay for it? All of a sudden, wait a minute, 60 bucks an hour for some of that work actually doesn't seem too far away. If I build a reputation and build some value behind it, then go for it and go crazy. And like, once you leave home, once you've got to put food on the table, once you've got to make sure that you've got a roof and pay rent and everything else, it becomes really hard to take those risks. But at a younger age, perfect and you can break things and you can pick yourself up and (laughs) you're young like people want to work with young people like I'm 30 and teaching kids and that sort of stuff I run a co-working space we're always encouraging kids to come in and have a chat to us and we'll probably give them a desk for a couple of hours just to come and chill out and enjoy the space and network because we want to see young people succeed so actually use that to your advantage instead of going I don't have the experience I don't have that stuff find people to help you get going, make it happen. You're in the perfect stage and if any money you make, it's worth it. Yeah, it's a really, really, I'd echo everything you say there. I think we're so lucky and I think younger people, my son is 17, about to leave school as well in the last year of high school and kind of not too worried about what he's going to do. He's pretty kind of relaxed about it all and I think he sees what I do in my life and for a living with my podcast and my business and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, well, Dad can do it. I can do it as well. And I think there's just so many education things around for kids, a little bit like what you've got going on there. But there's a lot of influences out there as well. I had a really good quote from Gary Vee on a video yesterday. He said, you can't sit around wanting to be a millionaire and talk about being an e-commerce millionaire or delivering incredible products and services and having all of these things, but being on the couch watching Netflix. Those two things don't marry up. You've got to get yourself out there. You, your work ethic needs to match what it is that you're seeking in your life. And if you're seeking those big, giant, lofty goals, whether they're financial, relationship, or you know, work-related goals, you've actually got to marry that up to the work ethic. And it's so important to deliver value in, in advance and give your time up like that as well. That's a, I would absolutely echo everything you're saying there. It's a really, really cool thing. I remember someone said to me, it's 10 years of hard work to become an overnight success. That's the sort of attitude. But that's, yeah. that's what it is, though. And it is like oh, I'm looking at all these things that are falling out and all this stuff that we've been doing. But it's the same message I've been harping on for years about. But now I've done it enough that people are starting to take notice and we've refined it and we've done all that stuff. And so you've got to put those hard yards in. You aren't just going to turn up and make that million dollars on your first sale. It's just never going to work. But, yeah, 10 years of hard work. And then you turn that over and you go, yes. And everyone goes, look at this new kid on the block. And it's like, no, actually, there's a long story here. And everybody has them. Not very good at sharing. Here's the long journey, but that's what we need to do. And that's what we've got to encourage more people to go on that longer journey just to build that traction and drive value. I think one of the issues as well is people always are looking to other inspirational people 
and they see how far they've gone and the success that they've achieved. And sometimes when you start something, it can be a little bit daunting. You like you look up and you go, man, they're so successful. And, and now I'm going to try and start that journey. It can be pretty scary and daunting about the, how much work needs to be done. What would you say to somebody in that position when they're ready to kick off, but then all of a sudden they get cold feet about what really needs to be done about it? You've got to get a mentor. First and foremost, get a mentor. Get someone you can trust, someone who's got a bit of an experience. I still have a mentor now and really, really value those conversations to learn from what they do and, and bring that into what I do in my life, not just business but life itself. But I encourage you to go out and find people, find people you respect and you trust and you ask them and buy them the coffee and do that and, and really learn from what they can do because that experience is so, so valuable that if you are kind of freaking out a little bit, that's really, really important. And, now, if they're the right sort of person and they trust you can create a, create a really great relationship, that will go with you for years. And those conversations and those interactions are really great, but you have to be open. I even look at some of the, like I've been on international study tours and sitting down with people from other countries and that sort of stuff. And like sitting down and going 100% open, I'm struggling with this. Can you help? And like not being afraid to be fully open. If you're freaking out about something and you're not telling people, then those mentors can't help. So you've got to be completely honest and really lay it all out on the table because then you can start to get that support and get that help to really feel more confident in those areas because most of the time there are conversations, there's rooms that we walk into that we just go, I don't even know how we're in this room. And that's people of all ages. <laughs> um, and some people freak out at it. Some people just own that situation. And that's where we've got to help people go, you know what, that's actually a really normal feeling. It's okay. Let's go with this. When your business started to get a little bit of traction, how did you go from doing what you were doing, the transition from where you were to the new side of things? I mean, in small business, there's just so many things you've got to take care of. There's staff, there's people, there's insurance, there's GST, there's all of those things. How did you juggle all of those things and learn that stuff? Did you have a team around you or did you just hustle and work 15 hours a day? Yeah, look, it was a lot of me doing it, but I, I had like had a lot of friends in different spaces that it wasn't hard to ask them questions and that mentoring stuff as well, going, okay, I kind of need to do this. And some of it you learn from your clients as well. Like you get your first contract and it goes, hey, you need insurance. It's like, cool, I better call some up and get some professional indemnity insurance. And <laughs> I didn't that know up. that. <laughs> yeah, but that's some of that process that you don't know until it hits you in the face, but you either sit there and go, no, I can't do that. Or you go, wait a minute, who can I talk to about that? I can get that sorted in a heartbeat because... Businesses want stuff easy. So everything is designed to make it really easy for you to overcome those challenges. So you just got to be really sort of growth mindset in your way you approach those things. But yeah, so for me, yeah, young professionals that were different spaces, that was really, really helpful for me. But I've done a lot of it myself. But then also teaching students how to start businesses. Like it would be silly if I didn't know how to do some of those things. <laughs> and I share a lot of that experience with the students to go how to do that and actually having conversations with people who are sort of leaving the workforce and they're going to me, how do I do some of this stuff? Like I want to just do some consulting in the last kind of the twilight years of what I'm doing. I want to share my experience. I want to do that stuff. And they're coming to me going, how do I do like insurance brokering? How do I do that? How do I write proposals? Because someone else has done that for me. And you start to realize there's some real value in having a go, but then learning from other people. And there are things that I can't do. I'm never going to be an accountant. Like I won't even like I can work my books. I can do that, but I need someone else to look at it. So work out what you're really good at and get other people to do it if you can. But otherwise, yeah, a lot of it you'll learn yourself, but I actually think there's real value in learning it yourself and then knowing if someone's going to pull the wool over your eyes if you get someone else in. 
yeah, I, that's where I'm at as well. You know, you have to do everything in, everyone does everything in a small business, but you stick to what you're really, really good at and you offload the things that you're not so great at. But unfortunately, you have to learn those things that you're not so mm. great at early on because you usually don't have the money to offload it. So you learn how to do it yourself. And once you get a little bit more cash, you can hand that out like that. How did you go? Really interested to know about your mindset around going all in in the education space because it's a crowded market. There's a lot of different products and services and offerings that are out there. What was your thinking about trying to get this program into high schools? Did you know anyone else that was doing that? Was that scary for you? Or just like, I'm just going to go for it. It needs to be done. I'm, I'm the one that's going to do it. Yeah, it was, it's the, the latter for sure. It was more, I didn't really look into too depth into it going, wait a minute, like how do we even get schools to pay for it? But I've always come from that attitude that we now have schools paying for the programs, which is great, but normally found corporate partners that actually have value from what we do. And nice. so then we can offer it for free to schools, which is key because everyone, it's sad. And I think there's a whole mindset shift that needs to occur around education, which actually quality education is not something that people will always gift. There is actually value in that. Like if I'm traveling, yeah, 20 weeks around Australia teaching and going to international conferences and adding input, I'm not someone who you can then very easily go, hey, volunteer a week here and a week here and a week here because it's actually, that's the way we still consider education. That, yeah. Like I'm happy to go and help out for an hour or two if I'm around, but hey, you want me to go and fly to Perth to go and help? Like, wait a minute, mm. we've got to think about this. And I, we've got to put real value around education again and realize that teachers with experience are extremely valuable but I'll get off that soapbox and, and answer the question. But for me, it was, uh, it needs to be done. I've got an idea. Let me try it. As I've already mentioned, I just thought, well, let me just do it in my, my region. It's going, to be, it's going to be something that they need. And then as I've gone through there, I've seen all the other things that are out there, but realise still the opportunity is there. The gap in the market is still there to play between education and business and have a foot in both camps, but bring that into the school in a way that I go and sit in teacher PDs and learn from teachers as well, but then also sit with business people and bring that insights in and can marry those two worlds together in a way that students love. Like I got a comment, we've just done like a whole heap of programs in the last couple of weeks before the end of term two. And I got a comment from a student that said, I learned more in five days with you than I've learned in the last five weeks of school. And that for me says, that is why we're in the market. That's why we do what we do. It's hard. It's really hard to get into schools, but like I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think it made a difference. I'd get out of the way if we were cluttering up classrooms and making it harder for teachers and students. But I know that we've seen kids change their whole education pathway. We see communities think differently about the young people through the program. So for me, that's why we keep doing what we do. Have you reached a critical mass? No. Must be enormous. Talk to me about scale and international opportunities. And because that's not just here in Australia that what you're talking about applies that mm. applies to education the world over so you know are you going to rule the world with this thing how big are you thinking i don't think rule the world's the right way i think we might be <laughs> underpinning some uh, ah, successful entrepreneurs nice. in the future nicely put very uh, eloquent <laughs> yeah i think we're more about equipping that's yeah. what we do like we provide a skill set that they need but uh -huh. in terms of the international sort of stuff for me it's like because we are so like it's quality of the delivery is absolutely fundamental for what we do the program, like I could get someone else to run the program that has no understanding of it and it would probably not work. We know that. We understand that's how those frameworks work, which is why as a solution for like what we're trying to fill as Illuminate, us sending facilitators is a really expensive way to deliver programs, but you get the quality with that. And so for us, we're all about that quality. So I've trained personally all of our facilitation teams that we've got and helped them 
growing their capacity until the point where I can go, you know what, you can run this on your own. I'll step back and I'll keep working on the next person. But I'll still go in and drop in and see how they're going and provide feedback and support. So in terms of that larger rollout, for me, it's looking at how do we go into new communities and find those people and equip them to run it, but then go alongside them and support them on that journey to learn those skills and to be trained up so they can, I can model and the team that I've got trained up can model what we need to do then they can step in and be supported and provide that constructive feedback. So it's not a quick rollout. It's not a rapid rollout. But for me, the quality is absolutely key. If a kid's going to go through the program, if their parents are going to learn because of what the child's done, if the community mindset changes, like that's why we do what we do. If they go entrepreneurship sucks because the program was delivered poorly, like that's not what we're here for. We've got to make sure it's great. So it's a longer process. It's a more sustained process. But for me, that's the way you have to do it. And that's, we're not going to compromise on that. Yeah, beautiful. Tell me about your milestones. Did you have like a, a thousand student party celebration yourself internally? Or did you just do the, the big giant Tony Robbins fist pump under the desk when no one was watching and pretend like nothing happened? Well, actually, funny enough, the, so I was um, and now I the same week we had our thousandth student, I was announced as the Tasmanian finalist for Young Australian of the Year. So end of 2014. Um, like I went down to Hobart for that award and I drove down there going, there are incredible people on the list. I'm just going to go down there. It's going to be a great night and I'll drive back. My wife was in Queenstown, three and a half hours away. Just mm-hmm. went, don't worry, you just stay at home. And like I give her a call at like 7.30 and go, yeah, so you know that thing that I went to? Yeah. And that's, that's kind of been like, there's things that I just go, I can't believe that's happened. And we went back and I was like, oh, wait a minute. We've just had our thousand students. So I said, who wants to be our thousand student? The kid just put their hand up. And that was it. We kind of just kept rolling on. But yes, that's kind of how we've celebrated those milestones. Um, it's been very much, this is what we do. We just keep rolling on. For me, the, the milestones that we really get excited about is when, like I sometimes get sent report cards because the child's, academic pathway has completely changed or attendance cards because like I had a student that once can turn up to school for 10 weeks, came to the program and did not miss a day after that for the rest of the year. That for me are the milestones that we celebrate and that's what we really value. And we share them around the office. We have a hashtag that we use next gen feels because there are things that you just sit there and you tear up because the program's called the illuminate next gen challenge. And you get kids that just, they say something and you just like inside just go like, yes, that's what we do. And so excited about it. But inside you're just going, that is awesome. And just like, we just have these yeah, moments where you just go, I can't believe that happened. Yeah. That makes us realise what we, why, what we do, what we do. So we, our milestones are built around those celebrations of a students change their life around or this whole school has embraced this new opportunity or like that for me is fundamental. The world is a incredible place if you turn off the negative media. If you switch off the news and all the, the negative BS in your socials, and you have really good people around you and really good stuff happening like that. It can be incredible. So it's, I'm proud of you, mate, for being able to do that. So well done to you and your team for doing that. It kind of gives me goosebumps to hear you saying that because you're really making a difference in these kids' lives. And they're, they're our future. It's really, really important that you're doing that. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me about your mindset of taking your foot off the gas. Ah, yeah. So I think there was a time and it was actually, yeah, it's probably a good point in the story because after I actually came back from Canberra with the Australia Year Awards, like, that's not a negative thing. I didn't win. It was an incredible group. I was, no, I was only Tasmanian finalist. The the Young Australia Year that year was absolutely incredible. Trisana Levitsky-Gray, Death Advocate and WA, amazing. But like I had, my group had like people like your Patty Mills. I had a filmmaker that helped inclusion. I had, um, Yasmin, who's now been unfortunately kicked out of the country for her controversial views, but that was in my group, the 2015 mm. Young Australian of the Years, like, and it was just 
a mind-blowing group. But I come back and I kind of just slowed down a little bit and realized that I was like, oh, we're doing great things, look at all this impact and just kind of slowed down and almost lost everything in what we were doing and kind of went like, I don't know, I don't know if it's not an entitlement type of thing, but I just got a little bit lazy and realized that like at that point I was not doing what deserved to be done. If young people, this is their one opportunity to succeed, we had to make sure it worked. But so I realized that, yeah, taking the foot off the gas had not probably taken maximum opportunities that we could have. So really restructured the business, did a couple of things that I had to do that I would never have done to really keep growing and keep doing things. So like at that point, we went just from education into running a consulting business because everything we were teaching kids, business people wanted as well. Mm-hmm. And that was a really easy market to step into, to deliver outcomes and really re-inspire and reinvigorate. So then jump back into education and deliver with full passion. Yeah, it was a very difficult stage because I was kind of like, wait a minute, like we've done all this great stuff, we've reached all these places and now nobody's talking to us. And it's like, mm. all right, we've got to do stuff. But that for me is now like I'm always on the go. My team hate that. Like I'm, not, I'm actually banned from our office calendar because yeah. I keep going, oh, there's a day there. I can do something there and I can do that. But that for me is like that's a response to that situation where I realise that you just take the foot off the gas. If you're not focused on what you're trying to achieve, then it's just, it won't happen. Like you've got to drive a lot of this stuff because people don't love it the same way you love it. And unless you can be out there and talking it and making it happen and delivering, then you become irrelevant. People forget because someone else comes along, another bright, shiny object comes along and they follow that. And so you've got to stay focused. And if it really means something, like there is no reason for you to take the foot off. And that for me, I think probably the biggest realisation was this was making a difference to young people. It's actually, I cannot do that. And my wife and I made a conscious decision that this we really need to invest in. When you realized you'd taken your foot off, like it's easy to kind of explain it in hindsight as you ask you the question, you explained yeah. what happened and how you reacted to it. Do you know why you did that? Did you just rest on your laurels after a couple of really good wins or was it something in your mindset that shifted or was it just something that kind of happened to you? It's probably the mindset shift for me. I think I realized in that moment and probably look through that point of actually getting that chance to really check my thinking, I realized that I was thinking way too small. I was thinking Tassie only, <laughs> small population. Like there's only so many kids in our state. Like we still work with so many communities in the state. We love it. But I realized then. Just about Tassie. Why was it just small? Well, there's only a certain number of kids that we can work with here. So I just that thought that was it and that was where we were going to go, but then realized that what we were actually doing was national and, and bigger. And now we're talking international stuff as well. Like yeah. what we're doing actually had value in a lot of other places, but I just for some reason not thought that that was what we should do. And because Did you get a nudge yeah, from a mentor? Yeah, I had actually had some really good conversations with people. So there's a mentor, there was lots of other people that I was talking to, just people down the street, and they just go, like, we've just seen you do all these awesome things. Like, what's going on? And, like, you've got to go here, and we're seeing these things happening here. And as people started, like, people knew more about some of this stuff than I did. And I'm going, wait a minute, whoa. Um, that's when you really know that you've really got to probably wake up your thinking a little bit when someone else that you meet playing footy knows more about the space than you do. But, like, that for me, I, yeah. I think that really created probably that opportunity and space to think. And so for me, I guess another thing that I really try and do now is that intensity, but then that space to think as well is absolutely key to build that in and actually make it proactive instead of a desperation. Tell me about your partner. You mentioned her a couple of times. Is she somebody that supports you and you have these conversations with and she holds a mirror up to you? 
how is that relationship? Because a small business owner and entrepreneur that never gets switched off, I don't care what anyone says, wake up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom and you're thinking about something to do with something that's not related to, you know, it's always related to work. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. No, my wife, Jessie is absolutely amazing. And I like, we've actually been talking about this a little bit because she's been actually, she was a primary school teacher and at the start of last year made the jump, left schools and became part of this because she realized that the impact that I was making in schools was bigger and probably making a greater impact than she might have been able to make in her classroom environments and went, I want to be part of that. So we were both sort of passionate about this space. A lot of the ideas like refined together, I sit there and throw some stuff around and go, oh, I'm not sure about this. And I'll be like just sharing at the dinner table or having a cup of tea or yeah, first thing in the morning going, oh, I've been thinking about this overnight. Like, what do you think? And like, first of all, stop thinking about it. Just, just like, come on, just relax. But then also a lot of those things have been done in partnership. And I, yeah, you're right. You don't switch off. But then also it's like it's more than a job. It never is that sort of thing. Like for me to go to the US and spend three weeks over there or eight days in Singapore that I spent um, in June, like you need the investment of your partner to do that. And I'm so thankful that like we've got similar passions in that and that sort of ongoing support that, yeah, we've got a three-year-old and a seven-month-old and I still spend at least one or two weeks every month travelling to different communities teaching. Like we're invested in this our family's invested in it. Our whole lifestyle rides on the back of this business. We're passionate about what we do. We travel where we can together. Like it's, yeah, absolutely critical. And I actually think if you can find those people you can share with and don't be afraid to bring them in because sometimes yeah, that person who can really tell you that's not you mm. is someone that you so need to be talking to. Don't be afraid of that. Yeah, I think that's one thing that a lot of entrepreneurs miss out on. I've got a lot of mates that have also got their own businesses, but they're not kind of invested the same way that you're describing with their partner either. I'm lucky I've got the same thing as what you have as well. My partner, Sue, she's, she thinks I'm crazy. She encourages the craziness, encourages the thousand miles an hour, jump on a plane and go somewhere for no reason, apparently to try and win new business. And then, you know, and she rides the highs and lows of entrepreneurialism with me. And I think it's really important that you have that in there. Do you talk about that in your courses with the kids or is that not really something that comes up? We don't sort of talk about it too much. We've been sort of like, but we get the kids to work through the projects in teams. So we look at that team balance and looking at those people around them and realizing that different people fire at different times and have different skills. And I think that's really, really fundamental to that, to realize that you only have a certain amount of skills that we've already said, like, and your partner has different skills that actually add to that. That's probably part of the reason you guys have come together. And that's absolutely key. So yeah, we talk about it in different ways. Look, I'm not going to talk to 15 year olds and say, "Hey, get married." No. The person that's going to be the, the the person that helps you be the better entrepreneur. Probably, um, I'm sure that looking at some of the groups that come through, we're probably talking to some guys and going, "Hey, support that girl where she goes with that," because there's some. There's, and I think that's the thing we've got to look at how to how do you work together and, and partner. And it's something that actually, yeah, my wife and I've been talking about. That's not this sort of, "Hey, I'm running this business and you're part of the team." No, we're actually every single one of us is invested equally in this. Where like I might not turn off, that's my problem and everybody knows that. But when we're switched on and focused on this, where all of us, everybody in the team is invested just as much as anybody else. Nice one. Well, I just want to shift gears a little bit. There's a lot of conversation in workplaces, both here in Australia and overseas as well, about gender inequality. Yep. And I know that a lot of that's media hype, but I also know that a lot of it's real as well, just from the anecdotes of people that I talk to, to different women that I speak to. I'm assuming that when you run a course with high school kids and you're dealing with boys and girls, that there is no gender inequality and girls can do stuff just as good as boys can, sometimes better and vice versa. There's no inequality whatsoever. Why do you think that that takes over in the workplace as these people get older? 
Yeah, so there's a number of things. I think one of the things that actually was, yeah, having a coffee with my dad yesterday, actually, and we talked about this, that uh, there is this attitude that guys look at something and they go, I can do seven out of 10, so I can do all 10. Like, that's it. I've got it in the bag. And it's even like, yeah, again, talking to Jessie last night about it, she's going, but I can't do that one thing, so I'm not meeting the standard. And I think that's, a, unfortunately, it's a gender thing. It must be somehow ingrained. I don't know how it works. It's a psychology thing. It's beyond me. But there must be something that says, wait a minute, like us guys are more willing to just go and risk and push. And you know what? We like do nine out of ten and we feel pretty awesome about it. We don't worry about the other one. Whereas it's sometimes the opposite. I think we've got to start building that attitude of going, how do us as guys start to realise that women who are applying for jobs are actually holding back on some of those things because they don't feel as confident. That, that's our mindset. We've got to be actually aware of what that is. And then on the flip side of it, how do women start looking at what us guys say that we do and go, all right, tell me how you've done that before. And just start to level that playing field. That's key. But like, and we've just got to like just help everybody where they're at and realise what those barriers are. Um, I sort of talk a lot about inclusion because I've also run a disability incubator as well and helping people with disabilities start businesses and realise that there are some great things that we do to help people, but we often, like, if you look at a ladder structure, we put something at the top. Hey, let's give tax exemptions for business ideas at this level. You don't know how to write a business plan. You don't know how to have the meeting with the person that gives you the exemption. You don't even know how to potentially scaffold the idea. So don't worry about the first three runs. We'll just do the top one. And that's the problem that we need to start looking at and going, okay, what is the barrier that's stopping this? Like, we talk about entrepreneurship being all in, and, and I've obviously talked about it as well, but... I've seen great people in Illuminate started as a part-time business. We've got to allow for that and actually encourage, you know what? You don't work five days a week, you work two days a week and it happens between nine and three because, hey, look, you look after the kids as well and I juggle that with my wife. I deal with it. That's how the world works and we've got to be flexible. So I think we've just got to start looking at what are those barriers and are they really a barrier and just stop putting up the things that say and create the status quo. Yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy. When I talk to really successful female entrepreneurs on this show, I couldn't tell you the difference between genders. I couldn't tell you the difference between a successful guy or a successful woman. That's really the same thing. And a lot of it's kind of self-imposed. They don't, and it's maybe part of the psychology that you're talking about and the cultural differences that we have across workplaces and just cultural differences within workplaces as well. So it's just really interesting that at the school level, the high school and the primary school level, there is no differentiation. And really in the real world, there's no differentiation either. You stick to your skill set, stay in your lane, do what you're good at. Don't worry about what gender you are and you can achieve greatness no matter who you are, where you are, where you're from. Or what yeah, that's it. And we've got to support that more. And yeah, if the kids can see it at that young age and we've actually probably got to look at them and actually learn from them. Okay, how are they sitting there and going, I don't care if it's a guy or a girl speaking, I just want to listen. Like mm-hmm. we've got to sit there and go, okay, like how have we forgotten that? What's drummed that out of us somewhere along the way? Because they do get it, yeah. And we often actually think we've actually got a higher percentage of females to males in our programs where those students get to sign up. Like you would think a business program, no, yeah, like yep. that's a stereotype, but it's not at all. It's just like, well, that's, yeah, they don't see it that way. And we've got to learn from them. Well, I love it, mate. Well done. You're making a difference there at the grassroots levels and changing the mindset or attitude of young adults. So well done on that. That's fantastic. Now tell me, Adam, what would you say to a 17-year-old, like I'm be a bit like maybe self-serving because it's my podcast and I can do it. What would you say to my son? He's about to leave year 12. He's not sure what he wants to do. I know he doesn't want to go to uni. He's not fussed with the trade. He's really interested in IT. He's interested in film and that type of thing as well. What would you say to him? So the question I would ask him to respond to is what would you do for the rest of your life even if you didn't get paid for it? That for me is the the fundamental question. And understanding that passion and that driver first 
and then build things around it. I've talked to enough young people who like are freaking out because they've switched jobs that they're thinking. I've seen people that, yeah, that final year of school, I want to do this job. Now I want to do this. Now I want to do this. And you start to unpack with them. Like, what do you actually want to do? I just want to help people. All three of those jobs help people. They just happen to be in different industries. Yeah. Let, what, how do you want to help someone? Oh, I want to help them with this. So if it's something, yeah, for your son that's in technical skills, then like, what do you want to actually do in that space? And then how do you bolt on the knowledge that you need and the experience that you need and the things that you do? And how do you pick up units and, and that sort of stuff for me and just follow what do you actually want to be doing that is enjoyable? Now, can all of us have a job that we absolutely enjoy to no end and that sort of stuff? I'd love to say yes, but there's going to be things that suck about it. But if you're making an impact in the area you want to make it in, like just go for it. But yeah, it's find that passion, find that thing that drives you and then realize that there are a number of different ways to do it. Like, there's enough kids who say, for example, hey, I want to go do sport. Like I want to go play professional sport. Like open up your mindset and actually be part of professional sport. How else can you do that? Oh, there's all these different careers and different opportunities and you can actually have impact potentially beyond like a four-year professional career and spend 30 years helping a club and actually probably win them a couple of flags in that process and you've had that impact. So you've got to broaden that sort of passion and, and start to look at that. But there's so many opportunities that once you see what drives you, what makes you happen, makes you really get out of bed and makes you feel awesome, just do more of those things. Well, that's awesome, man. Straight from a guy with plenty more experience talking to young people than I have like that. You know, I, sometimes I wonder if my kids actually listen to me at all. And I think all parents wonder that. And Cam got a little bit upset with me a couple of months ago. He told me to stop asking him. He said, you know, what are you doing when you leave school, Cam? What are you doing, mate? Yeah. And he just said, dad, stop asking. And I didn't, I didn't realize how much I was bothering him and how much kind of credence I was placing on that. And in the end, it really doesn't matter what he does. What matters is that he's happy and he's healthy and he's doing and he's working towards whatever he wants to work towards. And I stopped badgering him. And after I stopped badgering him with that question, he seemed to relax a little bit, actually. And he seems to enjoy the last bit of school. He's doing really well in school. And things are kind of just a bit more lighthearted. It's been a good experience. But I am going to ask him that question. So thank you for sharing that with me. I'll, I'll let you know how that goes as well. That's cool. Yeah, that'd be good. Cool, cool. All right, mate. So you're a really busy guy, a lot going on. Tell me about your daily non-negotiable habits. What do you do each day to bring your A game and keep yourself sharp and focused? So one of the things that I do, like I yeah, run a co-working space in a standalone system, but like one, I park like 10, 15 minutes away and I walk in and I walk out every single day. Oh, nice. um, that for me, like that space to like whatever you've left at home, like if I've got a child who's sick and screaming, I'm just like, ah, got to get out. But that walk can help you refresh, refine, get a bit of stretching the legs out and getting some fresh air in the lungs. That for me is, is really, really key. And then out the other way, like to unpack, to throw all the tasks into my task list that I haven't done and then I can get home and actually be home as well. And so for me, that's, that's fundamental to have that time and that breather. And then the other thing that I personally do a lot, and so I apologise to anybody who gets email, who tries to email me, but <laughs> I schedule times for emails. If you send me an email, like, and if I respond to you in five minutes, then you've just managed to catch me at the time that I'm writing emails. Because otherwise, I'm going to write back to you at the end of the day or at some point. I think there's that thought process that emails are like automatic response. Like we've got to write back straight away. It's like a phone call, but you know what? It isn't. Yeah. We can write back when we're ready to. I use Gmail as my mail stuff, uh, mail client. And so I use start emails all the time. And obviously Outlook has flag stuff. Like I'll have stuff come through. I'll flag it. I'll go back through my flagged emails and respond to those at a time that I'm ready to sit down and just pump a whole of emails out. I don't let it ride my day because otherwise I don't get anything else done. And that's like, for me, you've got to focus on what you've got to do. Those communications are there. 
and just like just tune in and really go deep on that sort of stuff. If you're just constantly jumping in and out, you're never going to get the work done. Yeah, those productivity hacks are really, really important. Otherwise, you end up being distracted all day. You're distracted before you walk in the office if you don't have a clear headspace. You're distracted by an email every 30 minutes and then you just never really get anything done. So really, really good hacks there, man. Thanks for sharing that with us. Well, that's the end of the show. Thank you so much for coming on the Go All In podcast and sharing your inspirational story with us. And you really are making a difference to young people. So well done on that. I'd like to revisit this in a six months, 12 months time, bring you back on here, where you're going, what's going on, talk about some different stuff if you're open to it. In the meantime, where can people find out more about you and your business? So simplest thing, illuminateducation.com.au. Go and have a look at where I'm, Illuminates on Facebook and we're on Twitter when I decide to post stuff on Twitter. I'm not really good at that one at the moment. I'm too busy doing work rather than posting stuff, but <laughs> I try and keep the Facebook page pretty up to date. But the yeah, illuminateducation.com.au website's got heaps of stuff about what we do and it's a good video about the program. So it's probably the best place to look. Otherwise, um, harass your teachers to find us. Like find, if you've got kids in school, get the teachers to come and find us, to bring us in. We're pretty much in every state doing stuff all the time on a regular basis. We'd love to have more kids be involved, but like that's the best way to find out about it is actually to see us, what we do. Okay, that's awesome. I'll make sure all of those links are included in the show notes. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Go All In podcast, just pop open your favorite podcasting app, whether that's in iTunes or something else. And if you could hit that subscribe button for us, that'd be really great. That helps us a lot. And if you like what you heard today, could you leave us a review? And if not, leave us a review because we always like to improve as well. Well, that's it for this show. Thanks again, Adam, for coming on, mate. And we look forward again to speaking with you again soon. Bye for now, mate. Thank you.